0: well good morning it's good to see you all your smiling faces some of you behind a mask I know you're still smiling right I don't know what to think Um, I'm a fisherman and uh I'm not a liar, I'm a fisherman, can I get an amen, there's some fishermen out there with me. The other thing, I don't know what this means, and from time to time in my own church, um, there will be things on the pulpit when I get to the pulpit, and uh, for a while, we were, we, the money would show up, and we didn't know what that was, never did didn't know who was giving it, but at first it would show up as coins, and then occasionally there would be a dollar or two, and so I asked our people, I don't know what that is, but if you want to keep putting it up here, we'll keep taking it, you know? So today I come up here and there's a car key and I didn't, I didn't realize what a bonus and blessing it was going to be to, to spend time here with you at Crossroads and I look forward to being with you next week. Um, this, this, will be, this will be good for us. As I was listening to Jack talk about uh, us and our relationship, I was thinking back. Uh, I met Jack, as I recall, in Severe Heights Baptist Church uh, in, the, in the south part of Knoxville in 1998, as I recall. Uh, we were, my former pastor and Jack were close friends, and uh, we were working together to bring about a conference called a Call to Ministry conference. And we were trying to help young people specifically hammer out their call the call of God to preach, to minister to be missionaries and as i remember uh... when i met jack we were moving chairs uh... that that may tell you a little about jack and his his uh, desire to serve the kingdom of god uh... that uh, he doesn't mind moving a chair or two if he has to and i'm thankful for our relationship uh... today uh... we're in town because one of my nephews uh... was married yesterday and uh, so we, all the family was together, and, uh, and it was, it's, a, it's good to get out and to be uh, with another body of believers, another group of folks who love the Lord, and I'm thankful for the privilege to be here with you. Uh, I, you may take notes. If you do, I'll do my best to lead you through those. I'm not organized enough to give an outline uh, early enough to make it on the screen. Uh, so that's, uh, that's kind of what we're going to do, but um, Jack has asked me to be a part of this series called Why?, And I've listened to to one of the messages uh, a couple of days ago about why give, why tithe, whatever the the title was. And I'm thankful for the message that you heard uh, as part of that. Today I'm preaching about why witness. Why witness? What is it? Uh, What are we supposed to do and and why should we do it? So I want to open just simply with this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's pray together. Our Father, you have revealed your love to us in the man, Jesus Christ. And you revealed your love while we were still enemies of yours. While we were still sinners, your Son, Jesus Christ, died for us. Father, challenge us this morning. I pray that you would pierce our hearts deeply and that we would share what we have received. In Christ's name we pray, amen. When asked, why do people share their testimony, we really need to back up and say, do people share their testimony? Do people talk about the Lord Jesus Christ? And the answer is no. Now, that's not entirely true across all of Christianity around the world. Some people do tell their story, but in America, not much evangelism happens. We want it to happen. In fact, when people are surveyed, they say, oh, I want the opportunity to share my faith. I pray for the opportunity to share my faith. But very few people actually ever do. There's lots of reasons. The Jesus Film Project, uh, you may have uh, heard of that or seen the Jesus Film. It's used as an evangelism tool worldwide by missionaries everywhere. But the Jesus Film Project did a survey of about 1,600 believers, Christians, Christians, claim those who claim to be Christ followers and they ask the question what prevents you from sharing your faith what is it that prevents you from sharing your faith The first thing we need to acknowledge is we live in America nothing prevents us from sharing our faith right I mean nobody's holding a gun to your head saying if you talk about the Lord Jesus I'm going to kill you it doesn't happen so in reality there's nothing that prevents no exterior forces anyway are preventing us from sharing our faith But of these 1,600 people, the number one reason people did not share their faith, the number one reason is fear. Now, the survey didn't go deep enough to tell us what they were afraid of, but it does say that there is fear, and I will share with you that most of the fear is that you're going to mess it up and that you're going to not tell them how to be saved in the right way or that you're going to lead them instead of to Jesus, away from Jesus, and that's what a lot of people fear. Let me just tell you something. If the Holy Spirit is at work and you are a willing vessel, the Lord will save them if all you do is stand there. But you got to be there. Because it's not your words that save anybody. It is the Holy Spirit moving in their heart that they might turn to Christ and that they might find in him their salvation and that they may find grace sufficient for the sin in their life. See, it's really not up to us because Jesus is the one that saves. So fear is a liar and he always is. But the number one thing is fear. Do you know what the second thing is? Lack of opportunity, lack of opportunity. I think this is a lie as well. In Matthew chapter nine, Jesus talking with his disciples. Here's what he says in verses 36 through 38. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. You know what's interesting about this passage in Matthew is that Jesus didn't say pray to the Lord of the harvest that there will be a harvest or pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will harvest the souls. Jesus said, the son of the living God said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that the workers would go. Pray for the workers, not for the harvest. Now we ought to pray for the harvest. I'm not saying we shouldn't. We ought to pray for the the lost souls of the people that we know. But Jesus didn't say necessarily pray for them. He said, pray for those who are going to go. When we say that we don't have the opportunity to share our faith, we're lying. Now, is it true that you and your life are insulated, completely surrounded by believers at all times? It might be. And I'll tell you that as a pastor, it's extraordinarily difficult to get with lost people. If you just do your regular stuff. Because guess who needs the pastor? Church people. They call him, they text him, they email him, they stop by unannounced. And all of a sudden, all the things that he had planned for that day come to a screeching, grinding halt so that somebody can talk about the things that are going on in the church where the saved people are. Rarely does it happen that a person comes by and says, my heart is broken for this lost person at the gas station. Most of the time it is, did you hear about so-and-so and what they're going through? All those things are legitimate, but they get in the way of the gospel. There's opportunities to share the gospel. The third thing from the survey for the Jesus Film Project, 1,600 people, the third thing, which was 17% of the people, here's what they said, nothing prevents me from sharing the gospel. How sad. Nothing? You mean there's nothing that stops you? No. Do you know what the response ought to be? Then what stops you? Then why aren't you sharing what you know? Well, the survey goes on and some of the other things are unequipped or lack of interest, rejection, hostility, I'm too busy, all the things, all the reasons. I want us to look at a couple of things this morning as we talk about ministry and truly being a a minister of the gospel is one who shares their faith. You are to be sharing your faith. We're going to talk about that in just a few moments. But I want us to back all the way up to the very first part of this thing and I want us to look at the need. All right, so the very first thing we're going to look at is the need. Without the Lord Jesus Christ, people will die and go to hell. There's no doubt about it. There's no question. There's more evidence, more scriptural, specific things about the eternality of hell than there is about the eternality of heaven. Now, I'm not saying that heaven's not forever. I'm just telling you that Jesus was more concerned with giving a warning and getting people to come to him than talking about the promise that was going to be. Now there is a promise and I'm looking forward to it. Many of you are saying, oh Lord Jesus, come. You're joining with the apostle uh, John on the island of Patmos as he closes out the book of Revelation and you're saying, oh Lord Jesus, get us out of this mess. Come now, today's not too soon. Are we really in a mess? Have you ever been out of the country? Have you ever been out of the United States of America? We're not in a mess. We're really not. You might say, yeah, but the Democrats and the Republicans or the Republicans and the Democrats and the Independents and I don't like any of them and they're all a bunch of liars and they take my money and all this sort of stuff. Lift yourself out of the culture of the United States and go find yourself nearly anywhere else in the whole world and you'll find that our political problem is nothing compared to not having enough food to feed your children or not being able to access some sort of a health care or being able to gather for church. We'll be in a mess when they take away the opportunity to gather like this. Right now, the mess is economic. Now you might say, well, that's not very nice. I've got a Trump flag in my yard. This is the most important election of my life. Or I've got a Biden banner. I don't care. Because the people who see your banner or your bumper sticker or your life they don't know that Jesus is at the core, then none of that stuff really matters. It really doesn't. Now, you might say, well, but you don't understand. I understand completely. Here's what I also I know. Now, I've been to seminary. That means I'm really, really smart. I learned a lot. <clears throat> but when the church is pressed. When the church is pushed out, the church begins to thrive. Because what is important comes to light. And all of the comforts begin to fade away. We may be moving into the greatest opportunity for the gospel in America that we've ever seen. And it may come in a complete change of government and oppression. Do you know that there are more believers in China today than there are in America today why because Jesus is important he saves people from their sins he rescues them from the eternal fires of hell we need to get focused on what really really matters the problem the challenge the need hell is real now a lot of folks want to talk about and want to believe that there's more people heading to heaven than there are hell. Can I challenge you on that today? Okay, I'll challenge you. Open your Bible, the book of Matthew, excuse me, Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Jesus talking here in the Sermon on the Mount, he's beginning to wrap up this great sermon, this collection of ethical teachings for the life of the believer. And in Matthew chapter seven, beginning in verse 13, Jesus says this, enter, talking about you, he says, you enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small. And the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. We want to believe that everybody's going to heaven. And our culture seeks to prove that everybody, all paths lead to heaven. There's many different ways and all this sort of stuff. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And in, here in, the math, in, in this Sermon on the Mount, he says, look, the easy way leads to destruction. Now, that word destruction can be rendered hell. It could be rendered uh, anything that is apart from God. And the, one, the word here in verse 14 that says life, that's obviously a reference to eternal life. And so he says, look, the easy way is to go to hell. The hard way is to go to heaven. And those who are going to heaven, those who are on the path that I will lay out, There's not many there. Why is it important that we believe that there is a reality called hell? Because it's true. See, hell was originally created for the the devil and his angels as a place of eternal punishment. All those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ and the truth that he presents as far as grace and mercy and forgiveness, all of those are going to join the devil and his demons in hell forever. Am I doing that? I'll try to stay still. Whoa, that changed. The challenge for us as believers is to believe the scripture, the teaching of Christ. We've gotta believe it. We've gotta believe that the person at the gas station or the person at the restaurant or the person at our place of work, they are either gonna go to heaven or hell. They're not just gonna kinda go somewhere, six feet under and be done. They're going to heaven or hell, and they may go to heaven based on your testimony. But they may also go to hell because believers are silent. There is a real need. About 72% of Americans believe in heaven. I actually don't believe that. I think the number is far higher than that. I think most people want to believe in heaven, whether it is that we're sitting in the clouds playing a harp and eating is it cottage cheese or cream cheese or something? You remember those commercials? You know, they're just you know, dipping their bagel in heaven and, and eating. You, it's, in the, it's on TV. Most people want to believe in heaven. Only about 58% of people believe in hell. And those that believe in hell don't necessarily believe it's eternal. This is why, this is at least one of the reasons that we have been called to speak, to tell the story. We sing the song, but do we say the words? I love to tell the story. So we know that there's the reality of heaven, the reality of hell, and that Jesus is the way to heaven, and the rejection of Christ is the way to hell, and we know that God has done something in us and through us, and so I want us to think about that. that there is one more thing other than heaven and hell, at least one more benefit or blessing of coming to Christ or leading people to Christ that is not about the future, it's about the present. And that is this, that when you become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, all of a sudden in that moment, you have something that you never had before. Not just the promise that one day things are gonna be good, but you have the promise of the Holy Spirit that comes into your life in that moment that helps you in fact, John, the Apostle John calls it the paraclete. It really means the helper who comes along the side. And so as believers, we have the Holy Spirit to help us. What does it mean when the Holy Spirit comes to help? It means that he is there to equip, to encourage, to empower. He is there to help us walk through this life, accomplishing the will of Christ in us. You are not tasked with going out and, and becoming Billy Graham on the street corner in your own strength and power. You have been given a call, an expectation to go and to tell. And God says, I'm not going to leave you out there on your own. I'm going to give you my spirit to dwell within you so that you can do it without fear. You can do it. and, And he creates opportunities and he is with you in all things and in all places. You, as a believer, have the Holy Spirit within you. Do you know that the Holy Spirit is one of the signs that you're actually a believer? Go into 1 John and you'll see a a lot of of, of, of evidences of of your salvation, of, of the presence of Christ in your life. And one of the things you'll find is that the Holy Spirit within you is a sign. Folks, you need to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit. So if you're pumping your gas and the Spirit says, go buy that guy a cup of coffee and ask him how his day is. You say, but Lord, I've gotten late for work. The Lord says, don't worry about work. This is more important than work. Go buy the coffee. He said, but but Lord, and, and you know what we do? We allow our uncomfortableness, our fear, our timidity about the gospel to interrupt a conversation that God may use to lead someone to life. I share this story, this next story. Recently, I shared it with my church. Um, I'm sure that I will use this again in my future. But while we were in college, a good friend of mine named Scott um, had married. Uh, He was in his senior year, and he married, obviously, and uh, so his wife was at work. And he would go to class and then go home. And uh, Scott was heading for ministry like I was. He was sitting in his recliner studying one afternoon, and he sees a guy. On a lawnmower in his yard. It was a rental house, and the part of the deal was they mowed the grass. So he's mowed, the guy's out there mowing, and Scott's sitting there studying. And the Lord spoke to Scott, and the Lord said, "Scott, go out and talk to him about Jesus." Scott said, "But I'm studying." No, you go out and speak to that man about Jesus. Scott did not. He did not get up out of his recliner. He did not go and speak to the man. And though the man had been in his yard every week, all summer, Scott never saw the man again. The grass was still needing to be mowed. The man was gone. As Scott told me this story. He said, what if I was his last hope? And what if I was the last opportunity God was giving him to repent, to turn from his evil and wicked ways And to find forgiveness. What if? It's not my intention here to burden you with guilt. It's my intention to share with you that you have the opportunity to be working for Christ, to lead people into hope, into help, and into salvation. See, this is not a burden, it's a privilege. And when you begin to look at it that way, then it changes how we obey. The second thing I want us to look at this morning is that there is in fact a command. A command, we call it the Great Commission. It's in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. You should have memorized this already. If, if you've been a believer more than a year or so, you should this should already be in your heart. Go. And as you go, make disciples. Now, that word go has often been used by the International Mission Board and other organizations to say, we need to go do missions somewhere. That's true, we do. We need to go do missions everywhere. But a lot of us have said, and I grew up Southern Baptist. I mean, I was born there. So I can be critical if I want to. Often we have decided that evangelism happens somewhere else, and we've used this whole idea of go to say we're gonna go. In fact, several years ago, the whole theme of the the Lottie Moon Christmas offering was go and tell. That's good. That's great. Go and tell. But do you know that the heart of what we have in Matthew 28 is not go and tell. It's as you go, talk. Tell. As you meet somebody, talk to them. You don't have to go on the other side of the earth to tell someone about Christ. There's somebody who lives beside you. Maybe they work in the cubicle or on the assembly line or they work in in your neighborhood. And God says that this is a conversation that we need to have. So as you go, tell. Tell. See, a lot of us have decided that God didn't call us to be missionaries. Well, I'm off the hook. That's the preacher's job. The preacher's supposed to be one telling people about Christ. That's true, but so are you. See, unless God has specifically said, you don't have to open your mouth at all, then you need to open your mouth. We're called to tell. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Jesus says, beginning in verse 18, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is for all of us. This is the command. You know there's something else here that's very fascinating, though, we, we tend to think of evangelism as an activity that we must accomplish, that we need to check off of our list so that we can say we did it, and then we just move on. And somehow we, we uh, disassociate ourselves from the message of God. Let me tell you what God has done here. God has accomplished salvation for lost people in the whole world, for God so loved the world, right? He's accomplished salvation, and then he gave you the message. You're the messenger to go and to tell the story, This displays the heart of God for the lost people in the world. If he was satisfied with those 12 or those few more who who were Christ believers right there in the flesh, God wouldn't have said, go tell anybody. He'd have said, no, I've got the ones that I want. But he didn't say, I've got the ones that I want. He said, I want them all. So go and tell. In 2 Peter. The, the apostle Peter is taking up this thing, talking about the Lord is not slow. The people were frustrated that they were being persecuted and, and they wanted the persecution and the struggle to end. And, and Peter says to them in his second letter, he says, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowless, but he is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. You want to know why God hasn't come back yet? You want to know why Jesus hasn't come back yet? Because he's patient. He's patient because there's more he wants in the family. There's more room in heaven. There's more blood to cover more sin. He is patient. His goal is the redemption of lost people. Your goal, often our goal, is the comfort of the saints. And those two concepts are incompatible. We've got to get out of our chair. We've got to get out of our cluster of believers so that we can have a conversation. You know what? Let's take just a second. I want to share something with you. This is, this is, this is the audience participation portion of the sermon. Did anybody actually tell you about Jesus Christ? If somebody actually told you about Jesus Christ, would you raise your hand? What? What? You mean somebody told you all about Jesus? How in the world did that happen? Somebody cared enough about you to tell you about Jesus. Now, you might have been this tall, but somebody told you, didn't they? Because they believed the gospel story. They believed it, and they loved you, and they know that God loves you. Witnessing or evangelism, whatever you want to call it, it doesn't happen when you are silent. It just doesn't happen. Now, I told you this was a command. It is a command. And when there, where there is a command, you must follow. Obedience must be there. This is an easy one as well. How about this one? Love your neighbor as yourself. Is that a command? Sure it is. Sure it's a command, right? Yeah. So if it's a command, aren't you supposed to do it? Well, I mean, I think that's kind of how that works. I mean, I wasn't in the military, but my dad was. And he ran our house like he was. And so when Dad said, this is what we're doing, guess what? That's what we did. He used to have these things called GI parties. They were always on Saturdays. And they always had to do with cleaning up the house. And here's how it worked. Mom would get frustrated because we kids weren't doing what we were supposed to do. And Dad would say, all right, here's the way it is. GI party. Nobody does anything until it's done. We worked fast. Because we knew until the task was done to his satisfaction... We had no freedom to go and do anything we wanted to do. He called it a GI party. We didn't waver because we knew that he had tools in his tool bag. (laughs) And he could make us miserable. Right? See, God doesn't make us miserable. But he still gives us commands. And the command is so blessed. Listen, Jesus loves them. Go tell them. How hard is it to say, do you know that I was a sinner, I was a liar, I was a cheat, I was a thief, I've whatever. But do you know that God loves me so much that his son Jesus Christ died, he stood in my place, took on the sin of my life and forgave me? Do you know that even though I used to be all that, now I'm a child of God? Do you know how many people need to hear that? Everybody you meet. That's how many people need to hear that. Third point, the last point. Evangelism or witnessing is an act of compassion. It is an act of compassion on your part. We have been told already, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the second of the great two commandments. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you love your neighbor, you'll tell them how to escape the fires of hell. It's very simple. If you love them, you will tell them how to have help and hope if you love them. Maybe our problem is we don't love anybody. Maybe we only love us and not them. But our love for people coming from the heart of God ought to drive us to a place to say, I don't want you to die apart from Christ. Please give me a couple moments that we can talk about this. Maybe it is that that love for neighbor actually means that we love our neighbor. Not just say it. Now, who is my neighbor? That sounds like scripture all of a sudden. Just who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells the story of the great Samaritan. Because the Pharisees and the scribes wanted to pinpoint exactly who they had to be kind to. And Jesus said, everybody. So often we do the same thing. they are three houses down, they're not my neighbor. Well, they're in the neighborhood. So I feel like they're probably neighbors. Any of you have a habit, every, it's the same pattern for every morning. You get up, you get dressed, you go somewhere. Do, you, do any of you stop by somewhere to get your, uh, ca- your caffeine? Any of you? Is it a regular pattern? Jack does. I know he does, and it's sweet tea. I know how it works. Some of you do. Some of you, let me just say thank you for being honest. The rest of these folks, not so much. A lot of us have patterns. We go to the same place every day. We see the same people every day. It's behind the counter. It's behind the register. The same people. I see, I get behind the same car, it seems like, every day on the way to school, dropping kids off. It's like, oh, there's that car again. wonder where they live. I see them every day because we're on the same pattern, right? A lot of us need to embrace the pattern that God's given to us or that we have uh, put in our own life and say, you know, every day at about this same time, that same guy's getting that same cup of coffee. I need to strike up a conversation. How's the fishing? How's the weather? Do you like football? It doesn't matter. We start a conversation in any way. But what it does is it begins a conversation that displays a love for the guy we don't even know. But there is somebody who knows him. God already knows him. God knows the condition of his heart, and God is putting you in the place, in the spot, in the space to talk about the important things. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be next month, but you might learn his name. Hey, man, how you doing? I see you in here all the time. Yeah, well, you know, I'll get my coffee on the way to work. Yeah, me too. Man, I'll see you tomorrow. All right. Did you know that's the beginning of a conversation about spiritual things? Why are we so resistant to tell people about what we've found? I don't have any idea. I I want you to know I'm not perfect and I'm not an evangelist. And all those butterflies get in me And I see somebody that I ought to know or somebody that I want to know and I don't know what to say. I'm not a people person. I love you. You're in the body of Christ. You love me. I'm in the body of Christ. But there's literally millions and millions and billions of people that don't do this. They don't do it. But Jesus still died for them. Jesus has given you a task in your life to open your mouth. It can start as something simple. You don't have to go up to him with your King James Bible, hit him in the head and say, Jesus loves you. It's not a very effective tool anyway. That's what a lot of us think about witnessing. We're like, oh, I'm going to go preach. I'm not a preacher. No, but you know how to have a talk. Why don't we do it? Why don't we do it? Because we believe the devil more than we believe Jesus. Oh, you're going to be so embarrassed. What if you go up there and you can't say the right things and they don't say the right prayer and they wind up in hell anyway? You should just keep your mouth shut and let the preacher do it. And we're like, you know what? That's right. I don't want to be embarrassed. I sure don't. I don't want to help them go to hell. I don't know what to say. So maybe I'll just say, hey. COVID hasn't helped us at all. We've insulated ourselves. We've shut our doors. We've isolated ourselves. By the way, South Carolina is way ahead of Tennessee. We're all sequestered away, and we don't, you know, I mean, it's, we can't even go find seats in restaurants. I got eight people in my family. We go to a restaurant and only let six of us sit together. That's the truth. If I'm lying, I'm dying. That's the truth. But it hasn't helped us because we've decided that everybody's sick and we don't want to be around them. And the reality is that if they die without Jesus, they're going to go to hell. If you die with Jesus, you're going to heaven. So have the conversation. Open your mouth. Why witness? Because we're told to. Why witness? Because as we grow in Christ, we have compassion and love and care and concern for the people that God puts in our life. Yes, it's a command comes with great joy because you're not telling them bad news, you're telling them good news. As I close, I want to challenge you. I want you to think for the next couple of minutes about why you don't open your mouth and share your faith. Some of you are parents and grandparents in this room. I want to ask you this question. Have you ever talked to your children and grandchildren about Christ? They love you already. You love them already. How horrible it would be. How horrible it would be to stand by a casket of a loved one and wonder, did they know Jesus? I wanna challenge you to be intentional. See, if you're not intentional, you'll never get it done. If the church is not intentional about reaching out to people and connecting with them to talk to them about the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness, the love of Christ, then you'll never do it. You'll become a club. A club that has membership limits. No, that's not the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ has open doors and plenty of seats because... His blood is enough for the sins of the whole world. The gospel is known as good news. It's actually how we translate from the Greek, evangelism, the good news, euangelion. But do you know this? It's only good news if it gets there in time. I want you to bow your heads just a moment. I want you just to prayerfully think about one or two people in your life who you have never had a spiritual conversation with. Maybe they live in your house. Maybe they are at your work. Maybe they are at the gas station or the grocery store. I want you to think about one or two people who are already in your life, do they know that you love Jesus? And as they come to your mind, maybe you don't know their name, but you know their face. I want you to begin praying for them right now. Pray that God would begin to create an opportunity for you to talk to them. And as you think about them and pray for them, I want you to pray, Lord, put your words in my heart and in my mouth. Lord, give me courage. Lord, help me to be brave. In just a moment, the musicians are gonna come and we're going to sing, but before we do that, I want you to pray. If you wanna come to this altar and bow before the Lord, Feel the freedom to do that. You know, some of us may need to say, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, empower me. Whatever it might be. If God is speaking to your heart, bringing someone to your mind that you need to talk to, then you need to do it and you need to commit today that you will do as Christ has called us to do. My father, I thank you for the privilege to be here. I thank you, Lord, for the message of the gospel, the good news. And Lord, as we are bowing now, I pray that you would give us a deep and heavy burden for those already in our lives who may not know Christ. And I pray, Lord, that we would love you so much that we would tell them about you. We're praying to the Lord of the harvest that you, Father, would send the workers out into the fields. And we're praying, Lord, that you would bring deep Conviction to us. Never let us be the same. Cause us, Lord, to open our mouths and to share what you have already given to us. Father, let us see people finding Jesus. And I pray that this church, Lord, would have the opportunity to stir the waters of baptism because of the obedience of the saints and the grace of Jesus Christ. May your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.